In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with the Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, the 2014 Mount Carmel Baptist Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. Uh, this one is Deuteronomy 19, verses 11 and 12, and it reads like this. But if any man hate his neighbor, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth to, into one of these cities... Then the elders of the city shall send and fetch him hence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Good verse for us today because that's exactly what happened in this church shooting. It was an ambush, plain and simple. Um, but before we continue, what I do want to remind you is about the notes, jumping into the comment section, clicking on the link, it'll take you over to another page, enter your email address and uh, we'll immediately send you the download. And it's just a tool that you can use to keep the conversation going with your safety team. If you've already signed up in the past, don't worry, go through the exact same process. It doesn't double, it doesn't give you double emails or anything like that. It's just something, it's just part of the process, I guess is the way to put it. All right, so let's get into this a little bit. Um, I'm going to treat this a little bit differently than we have in the past. You know, in the past, oftentimes I'll read the article. But because the killers <coughs> actually includes a team of four people, and in a way to avoid their names, I want to just give a basic description of these people. So what we're going to call it is Grandma of the Killer, uh, Grandpa, um, who is also a killer, um, a mom and her her, um, her brother. That's the that's the team of four that uh, committed this crime. The victim was the husband and his new wife. So essentially, what occurred in this situation is that they were going through a divorce, and more importantly, they were going through um, child custody battle. Um, the judge decided temporarily to give custody of their child to grandma and grandpa, the, the, one of the murderers, his wife, um, that they had custody. And because of alleged drug use, the mom could not go to her parents' house, grandma and grandpa's house, to see the kid because of, you know, basically a protection order and because of her background. But she was staying there anyway. And so with all that going on, that's kind of the background. During that time, the husband gets remarried. He kind of has an adopted family, ends up with a group of kids. And he's doing really well for himself. He's got a nice job. He's got a nice home, all this kind of stuff. And things in court over the custody battle are starting to lean in his direction. So obviously, mom... The mom is angry, super mad, and quite homicidal, be quite honest. So what happens is this, is on the day of the shooting, which was January 18, 2014, it's a Saturday, and they decide they're, 
they set up a visitation. And so this is supposed to be a supervised visitation. That means they need a, a third party there that kind of watches over what's going on and they're supposed to follow certain rules um, to make sure that everything goes well. Well, what happens is this. There's two people at the church. So there's the person that volunteers to be the supervisor with little to no training. Also, there's a building facility person there. It's a deacon, and he's taking care of business there. And this visitation is going on. The grandma brings the child to the church. The, the father, the husband, and his new wife are at the church. Grandma comes, drops off, um, drops off the kid, but she remains, even though she's not supposed to remain. Anyway, they're there for a while. They're visiting with the kids. Everything is going well. Um, and Grandma is sitting over in the corner watching it, but she's also text sending texts. She's on her phone. Well, after the visitation is over, it runs a little bit late. Grandma sends a text message, and the father, the dad, and, uh, and his new wife leave. So wife comes out. She's the first one to be killed. They have an ambush set up for her. The grandfather kills her. Let me make sure I got this 100% right. The, the, yeah, the grandfather kills her. Then the husband comes out. The father comes out. Um, and he's met with his, by his ex-wife, the mother, with a shotgun. Boom. Blows him. Shoots him. He drops. He doesn't die immediately. So the grandfather continues to strike him in the head with the butt of the rifle until he's dead. Flips around the gun just to make sure it's done. Boom. Pulls the trigger. Shoots him again. They then flee. Um, part of what happens is once they flee, they meet her brother out in the woods. They give him the shotgun and the rifle. The brother takes off with the truck, go finds a pond, and throws the weapons into the pond. Then everyone scatters. Grandma plays the good witness like, oh, I didn't see, you know, I don't know who did it. I don't know what happened. All this kind of stuff. The thing is, is this is the person that was there for supervised visit actually overheard her talking about um, talking to her daughter. And so even though she didn't see the interaction, she heard the interaction. But anyway, what happens afterwards, obviously the police show up, they're doing their investigation, the murderers are on the run, grandma's playing the good witness, and there's two dead bodies there. Well, Time, as time comes goes through, they figure out what's going on, you know, what actually happened, and they finally make an arrest. It's like two months later that they're able to finally pin it on. The, the brother turns on the family, brings the, you know, brings the, you know, basically shows the cops where the weapons are. They recover the weapons, and they finally get enough evidence together. Obviously, they look at things like text messages, all that kind of stuff. So they figured out Grandma was the one who told them, okay, they're leaving now, you know. And so it, it was clearly um, a planned murder. So lessons learned from that situation. It's, for me, it simply comes down to this. 
What are we doing as churches by allowing supervised visitation to occur at churches? So domestic violent situations, especially when child custody battle is going on, is one of the most dangerous things that law enforcement ever have to deal with. And so when I went to domestic violence calls, my alert level is way high. I'm going there with a partner. We both have body armor on. We both have firearms. We have batons. We have pepper spray. We have tasers. We're applying tactical training that we went through to ensure that we're being as safe as we possibly can. We have a two-way radio where the dispatch is doing regular checks on us to make sure we're okay. And if we don't answer that call, they're going to send the fleet. They're going to send in the cavalry to come get us out of there, hopefully living. It's extremely, extremely dangerous. But for some reason, and this also happened in the church in Sacramento, and it's, you know, you know, where people died, it's, we should not be doing this, basically. You know, it made me think of that old proverb, right, where it says, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. That's exactly what churches are doing when they allow these types of supervised visits, at minimum, playing out at their, at their church. It's so dangerous. It, it's, and we have no business doing it. There are other places that this can occur. And um, so, I don't know, how do, I, how do I bang that drum harder? It's impossible for it. It's just too dangerous. Now, if you, have, if you have some questions on, you know, well, we have to do it. Well, number one on the have to do it, um, I would either want law enforcement there, which, of course, they're not going to do that for you, or I would tell that whoever that person is that's telling you you have to do this, I would say, no, you have to do this because it's suicide. It's absolute suicide to put yourself in that position, not to mention the fallout. Do you want the responsibility of all of this playing out? If you're not trained, if you don't have backup, you don't have body armor, you don't have firearms, you don't have all those tools, you don't have uh, you know, the, the backup that's going to come in you know, within minutes, then you have no business doing it. We need just to step back from this and realize that we can't be the solution for all the problems that we're going to have in our congregation. We, we can't. And so we have to know when to say no. You know, if you're not set up to deal with homeless people, well then don't deal with homeless people. Send them to a church that is set up to deal with homeless people. If you, whatever it is, people going through domestic, um, you know, going through domestic problems. You know, if, if you're not a trained counselor, why are we counseling them? Why aren't we getting them to a professional counselor? What about mental illness? If you're not a doctor that's, you know, that's prepared and licensed to deal with people with mental health issues and, you know, maybe they need to be on medication, maybe they need to go through weekly counseling, all these kind of things. We just try to do too much and things we're not qualified to do. And in this case, it ended up in two people dying at the front steps of the church. And so we really have to look hard at this. I personally, if I got a call from my pastor saying, hey, would you be here for this supervised visit? I would say, no, absolutely not. I will not do it. And I don't care if they both come to my church or members of the church, I don't care. This is far too dangerous 
for us to deal with. And we can say, well, we know them and we're comfortable with them and we don't think it would go that way. That's what this pastor said. That's what the members of this church said. It wouldn't happen, surely not. The thing is, is this is, even if we're a good judge of character, we're not perfect judge of character. And so we don't know how these things can go. And how, you know, we don't know the minds of people. We don't know the hearts of people. We just see the way they present themselves. And all of us know that we can present ourselves any way we want, any time we want. And, and we can present ourselves in all kinds of different ways. So that's my, that's my lessons learned on this one. Like I said, I mean, there's other things that you could do. Check out the article. Wesley gets into those things. A lot of good advice. Some of it you've heard before, you know, monitoring doorways and, and paying attention to your surroundings, situational awareness, you know, gathering intelligence by talking to people um, to find out, you know, how much danger is in this relationship, what is the history of it, and all that kind of stuff. Those things can be helpful and they can help you mitigate that risk to some degree. But when somebody pops off, or in this case, it's a planned killing, there's not much you can really do about it. And so let the cops handle it. Let this supervised visit happen somewhere else. Some counties actually have places where they allow these types of high-risk situations to meet and happen at. Here in town, we have a domestic violence battered shelter, women's shelter, and they're set up for those kind of visitations. But even then, even with that, we had a child abduction or supervised visit and the parent who didn't have custody took the kid, ran out the door, got in their car, drove away. They were found, I think it was like a day later um, in a town over. And so another thing of why we don't wanna mess with this, we simply, don't want to mess with this. We need to keep our hands away from it the best we can. Now, I'm not saying we're taking those people and we're just tossing them out as they're, you know, they're no time no time should be spent on them. I'm not saying that. I'm you know, you can still have counseling, one-on-one counseling with with the two people because they're obviously they want the dad used to go to church there. The wife was currently going to church there. There could be counseling. There could be some of those interventions. There could be those ways of helping and all that kind of stuff. But when we're setting up a scenario where violence can break out, child custody, supervised visitation, it's just way, way, way too dangerous for the what we're prepared to do. Unless you're prepared to have an army of people standing around patrolling the grounds, watching the grounds, sitting in there, um, prepared for dad or mom to whip out a gun, start shooting people. Heck, even grandma could shoot people. You know, we have, it's just, you're probably just not going to have the resources and the training to do that kind of thing. So other than that, um, we just finished up on our last quarter. Thank you all that went through this training this last year. Um, we had just over a thousand people uh, work on their getting their certifications, many of them. Most of them, almost all of them, have completed the training and got certified with us this last year. Awesome, successful year. Some people are still making time up. They'll probably get it done this summer before the next year. That's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just a great year. Thank you for everyone that was here for it. 
Um, other than that, if you like this video, please like, comment, share, all that good stuff. Get the copy of those, the, the download so you can talk about it with other people. Think about how you might handle this situation at church. Other than that, thank you for being here this week. And hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.